Now, Watson, let me see if I can hit the target with ease. Oh, yes. Good shot, Holmes. Yes, but I can't understand for the life of me why you wish to bring a leg of mutton out here into the park in order to shoot at it with a bow and arrow. You know, you've done some bizarre things in your time, but never anything as bizarre as this. But why not use an ordinary bullseye target? Now, come with me, Watson. You'll see. Yes. Now, you will observe that I've shot the meat cleanly in the center. The shaft of the arrow is deeply embedded. The arrowhead sticking out the other side. Now, just try and remove the arrow, will you, Watson? I think you'll understand my slight experiment. present the stories of Sherlock Holmes. The Crouch End Mystery. years, I'd grown used to Sherlock Holmes' strange ways. I'd learned that he never did anything without a good reason. All the same, I was quite amazed one early morning in the month of May, 1893, to be asked to accompany him to Regent's Park, where he quietly indulged in an archery practice. I knew he was a keen toxophilite, but could not understand why he should practice on a large leg of mutton. It, it, it didn't make sense. Well... Try to extract the arrow, Watson. You're a strong man. Mm, very well. Anything to humor you, Holmes. Well, I must admit, it's extremely hard. I'm fine. Can't pull the arrow out. Quite. Now, try pushing the arrow through and pulling from the other side. Ah, yes, it's considerably easier. It comes through quite cleanly. The feather flight gives no trouble. Exactly. Now, observe the marks that it's left, small and round. Now, as a medical man, would you not say that this could be a bullet wound? The bullet passing right through the limb? Yes, I, uh, I suppose it could. Yes, I suppose so. Good. And that's why I've conducted this small experiment. We can go home for breakfast now, Watson. <laughs> Very well. What a strange way to start the day. Yes. And I fancy there'll be stranger things to follow. It all has to do with the mystery down at Burnham on Crouch, of course. Well, come. Let's leave before we start attracting attention. Uh, this way. Well, oh, sounds like a visitor, Holmes. Are you expecting anyone? I think it'll be Carter of Scotland Yard. He's engaged upon the Burnham on Crouch case. I've been advised that he wishes to consult me. Uh, Mr. Carter, sir, says he has an appointment. Oh, very good, Mr. Hudson. Show him in, please. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, this way, please. Thank you. Morning, Mr. Holmes. Good morning, Dr. Watson. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, do come and join us. Just a light breakfast. Uh, thank you, but I've already had an early meal at the hotel where I stayed overnight. I came up sound from Burnham on Crouch to report to Scotland Yard, but thought I'd like a word with you first. And what have you to report? Total failure, I'm afraid. I'd hoped to impress Inspector Lestrade, but I've got nowhere. You've been informed of the case, Mr. Holmes. I've read all the available evidence, including the report of the inquest, very carefully. Uh, I believe there was a tobacco pouch found near the body. Did that tell you anything? Mm -hmm. It belonged to the dead man, sir. Initials were stamped on it. It was made of ostrich leather, and that fits. Mm. He lived at Oatswan in the Cape, South Africa, for many years. He was a heavy smoker? Uh, not according to his wife. We couldn't find a pipe, for instance. Hmm. Odd. 
I only mention the patch because that seems the only tangible piece of evidence so far. Is uh, this a new case of murder, Holmes? Oh, I do beg your pardon, Watson. I'd forgotten that you know little of this. Uh, take some coffee, Carter, and go over the case for us. I shall be none the worse for hearing the sequence of events once more. Just give me the essentials. Very well. <clears throat> I have my notes here. Now, uh, yes. This is the rough career of one Nathan Savage, born about 50 years ago and lived the life of an adventurer. Worked an ostrich farm in South Africa and prospected for gold out there. Made and lost several fortunes. Yes, about five years ago, he retired to Burnham on Crouch to an estate called Crouch End, where he lived with his wife. He died in mysterious circumstances a few days ago in the grounds of his home. An absolute enigma. At times, strict and puritanical towards his wife and others, and other times, a drunkard who had the power of evil in him. An extremely unbalanced and dangerous man. Quite. He was feared by everyone. Known on the gold fields as Mad Nat Savage and lived up to the name. Crouch End, he was loathed and avoided by the local people. He lived the life of a recluse. He had a small one-roomed cottage built by the stream in his garden. And no one, not even his wife, was allowed to enter it. It was his hideaway and furnished with the uh, personal effects of all his travels. Curtains were always kept closed. He had no visitors. Savage lived alone there. Yet at the inquest, Bob Leggett, a local farmer, gave one of the few positive bits of evidence we have to go on. He said... Oh, it were about one o'clock in the morning. I'd been up attending a sick cow and I took a shortcut along the back lane to my home. Oh, you can see that hideaway cottage from the lane and there was a light on. I saw shadows across the curtains and Madnet weren't alone. There were another man in there with him. I could see the outlines of them very clear. The other fellow were bearded and they were arguing something terrible. Oh, but that were on the Monday. Savage didn't get himself killed until Wednesday, so I suppose it don't mean much. But he did have a visitor with him on Monday night, and that's a fact. All the same, it might be significant. Don't you agree, Mr. Holmes? Every detail, however unimportant, is significant. An unknown visitor to a forbidden spot is most interesting. But uh, do continue. Hmm. Well, um, come the Wednesday, Savage went into one of his blackest moods. His wife, Grace, told the court about it in the frankest manner. She said, I knew those moods. He was a drunken wild beast who roamed the grounds of the house looking for trouble. I locked myself in the upstairs room all day. At night, I came down to get food. I could see the lightless cottage. It was quiet. I thought he was in a drunken sleep. I went to bed and locked the door. At about two in the morning, I heard terrible yelling. Oh, I did the sensible thing. Pulled the blankets over my head and tried to ignore it all. Early the next morning, I went out. The door to the cottage was open. I went down the path towards the stream, and well, there, by the wooden bridge, he, he was lying on his back. I thought he was still drunk until, well, till I saw the, the blood on his chest. I just turned and ran, raised the alarm, called the police, and, well, that's all I know. I swear to you, that's all I know. I was called in. I inspected the grounds and the cottage. <laughs> Never been such a strange place, filled with trophies, books, maps, and a clutter of bottles. <laughs> Smelt to high heaven. Flies all over the bed. Horrible. Yes, it must have been. But you haven't yet told us how this man Savage died. Well, I'm coming to that. It's baffling. For it seems that there was a bullet wound went right through his chest under the heart, but no bullet. Just a small hole. And no one heard shooting. Police surgeon says he'd never seen anything like it. Hmm. 
Yes, so he was shot by a bow and arrow, Carter. Now you see the reason for my morning exercise in the park, Watson. Bow and arrow? How could he be sure of this, Holmes? Well, I can't. Until I viewed the body and visited the scene of the crime. But from the nature of the wound, I thought it the only possible explanation. But there was no arrow found. Yeah, well, there couldn't be if the murderer wished to cover his tracks. Now, may I make a suggestion? By all means, Mr. Holmes. Well, then I propose that you do whatever reporting you have to do to Scotland Yard, and we catch the 12.30 train to Burnham on Crouch. If I remember, such a train has a dining car. Shall we risk the Eastern Line's luncheon? What do you say, Watson? Can you manage that? Oh, and we'd better take overnight bags, just in case. As usual, I could not refuse a trip with Sherlock Holmes. And after an hour or so's hasty rearrangement of my affairs, I was at the station in time to join him and Carter on the journey. It was uneventful and quite pleasant. We took a carriage from the station to Crouch End, where we met the widow of the dead man. She was a hard-looking woman, but quite charming, and was soon telling us of the years of hardship and ill-usage which she had endured. My husband created havoc wherever he went, Mr. Holmes. Towards the end, everything he touched seemed to turn evil. I do confess, if I have any feelings left, there was a relief rather than sorrow. There, I've said it. I've nothing to add. But just one question before we ask to see your husband's hideaway cottage. I understand there was a large knife found near the body. Have you identified it as belonging to your husband? Indeed, I have. What he was doing with it out there, I cannot say. He must have intended using it on someone. But he was stopped in time, thank heavens. Perhaps he was killed in self-defense. Who knows? Yes, who knows? But it's our duty to find out. Now, Carter, will you be good enough to lead the way to the cottage? Uh, thank you, Mrs. Savage. The cottage was, as Carter described, filthy and incredibly neglected. I could tell that from outside. Carter was about to insert the key into the door when he stopped. Hello. Someone has been tampering with the lock. Someone's been trying to force this window. Whoever it was fails to gain entry. Yes, well, open up, Carter. Yeah, nothing has been touched, I take it? Not since I was here, Art. Oh, good. I shall take the best part of an hour to examine this place. And I must go over the grounds, particularly to the spot where the body was found before dark. Yes, it'll take longer than I thought. Perhaps you can find an inn nearby where we can rest for an hour or two. I'm afraid we shall have to stay over, Watson. If someone tried to break in here last night, then the odds are that he or she will have another attempt this evening. I think we must be here to receive the intruder, don't you think? I'm agreeable to any plans you make, Holmes. Good, then please leave me. I prefer to work on places like this alone. Uh, give me an hour, just one hour, that's all. Thank you, Carter. It took well over the allotted hour to complete his examination of the hideaway cottage and the surrounding grounds. He even ventured into the neighboring fields and appeared well pleased to discover it hadn't rained in those parts for some weeks. And the set of horse and cart tracks that led to a small copse were fresh and clear-cut. We then paid a visit to the local mortuary and inspected the body of Mad Nat Savage. I'm used to seeing death, but it wasn't a pleasant visit, and I found myself agreeing with Holmes regarding the cause of death. By the time we got to the Hare and Hounds Inn, it was quite dark. We had a short rest, and then, fortified by an excellent home-cooked supper, we journeyed back to Crutch End Estates, where Carter was anxiously waiting for us. Thought you weren't coming back, Mr. Holmes. I'd be here for eight. Good. Then you must know that no one has yet arrived and tried to enter the cottage. No, 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 no. no well, that's good. Well, we better settle down. It may be a long wait. It was some hour and a half later, as I was nodding off, my back against a large oak tree, that Holmes touched me lightly upon the shoulder. Someone was moving about along the wall of the cottage. There was a silence, 
a step in the gravel, and some metallic scraping. The lock of the door was forced. It opened. A match was struck. A candle lit. Holmes motioned for Carter and me to follow. The man inside the cottage was young and slender. He commenced a search amongst the books. Having found one, he returned to the light and began paging through it, then sighed and snapped the book closed. Carter stepped forward and took command. Stay where you are. What? Don't move. Where the police? What? Oh, I should have known you'd still be watching this place. I suppose you now imagine I'm connected in some way with the death of Nathan Savage. I assure you, I am quite innocent. Well, that's first to decide. Let's start with your full name. Nigel Sykes. I see. Initials NS. And what may I ask are you doing here? Oh, is this a casual conversation or an interrogation? It's a police investigation. Then perhaps I'd better wait until I can have a lawyer present. If you are innocent, it would be better to speak up without fear of the consequences. Oh, very well. Did you ever hear of Hewitt and Sykes, the West Country bankers? No, never. Yes. They failed for half a million pounds years ago. The ruination of many wealthy families in Devon and Cornwall, is that right? True. Sykes was my father. Ah, interesting. Please continue. But keep it short and straight. Well, I was a boy at the time, but I always believed in my dad. I never believed that he stole the securities like everyone else. He swore he could turn them to good use and every creditor would be paid in full. He left us a list of the securities he had taken and swore he would come back once his honor had been cleared. He left by sea for South Africa and... No one ever saw or heard from him again. We believed the securities were lost with him at sea. Then a short while ago, I discovered through a business friend that some of the securities had come onto the London market. I spent months trying to trace them. I discovered the original seller was a Mr. Nathan Savage, the owner of Crouch End. I had to find out what he knew of my father. But before we could meet, he met his death by someone else's hands. I attended the inquest. There was mention of logbooks, diaries here in this hideaway cottage it is. And you tried to get in here last night. You failed. You tried again now and you still haven't found what you wanted. Is that not so? There is an old diary here. The pages dealing with the time of my father's disappearance have been ripped out. Mad Nat Savage covered his tracks well. That's the truth. I have nothing else to add. I've told you the whole truth. I never even spoke to Nat Savage and I know nothing of his murder. Is that so? Then how do you account for this? A tobacco pouch with the initials N.S. Not Nat Savage as we'd first thought, but Nigel Sykes. Well, where did you get that from? I thought I... You I... dropped it near the body, Mr. Sykes. I think you'd better not say any more. Take your own advice and wait for a proper lawyer. Not that I think he will be able to get you out of this in a hurry. Well, I think it's been a good night's work. Thank you, Mr. Holmes. Thank you, Dr. Watson. Shall you return to London in the morning? We did not return to London the next morning. For in spite of the lateness of our going to bed, Holmes was up at dawn. And having borrowed a bicycle from the landlord of the Hare and Hounds, seemed to have travelled over a large area of Burnham and Southminster. He joined me for a hearty breakfast. Oh, Watson, what do you think of things? Well, you've been up to something, Holmes, I can tell, but you're not at all satisfied with Carter's conclusions, are you? I'm disappointed in that young man. I'd hoped for better things from him. One of the first rules of criminal investigation is never to accept the obvious as the end result. You have an alternative to the arrest of Nigel Sykes? Of course. Ah, here is Carter himself. Now we shall hear the latest news. Uh, well, Carter, have you extracted a confession from young Sykes? No, not yet. But he will talk sooner or later. He faces a full-scale interrogation at the yard this afternoon. Ah, and we shall have to conclude the case before that. Neither Watson nor I can afford to be away from Baker Street longer than lunchtime. <laughs> What does that mean, Mr. Holmes? Well, simply that you've got the wrong man, Carter. Just look at certain facts. 
Young Sykes is simply not the type who would have defied Nat Savage. He cannot have been the man heard to be arguing with Savage in the cottage two nights before he was killed. Sykes is clean-shaven. The man we're after has a beard. You may still be after a murderer who uses a gun and kills with a bullet. I'm convinced the man is an expert archer. Now ask yourself, who carries a bow and arrow around with him these days? Blessed if I know. No one. That's why your theory is so implausible. No, not at all. The art of archery is to kill swiftly and silently. In other words, to hunt. And hunt without being heard. Oh, it still doesn't make sense to me. Look, Mr. Holmes, if you've got something up your sleeve, then don't hide it. Let's have it straight. No, you can have it straight, as you call it. In exactly one hour, Carter. All you have to do is to conceal yourself in the loft of the stables of this inn at 11 o'clock. What you see and hear will surprise you, I have no doubt. Oh, and make sure that there are armed men at your disposal, won't you? We shall all feel very much more secure. Uh, will you excuse me now? I have messages to send off from the post office. The fast tables at the back in one hour. And this time, I don't think we shall have to wait all that long before arresting the right man. him here. It was an old score I had to settle. I, I tried to squeeze money out of him. 
threatened to expose him for what he was, a cheat and a murderer. He promised payment, but I, I knew he wasn't to be trusted. I rested my caravan in a nearby clearing in the woods and watched him night and day. Then he went wild, got drunk and ran berserk. Grace heard him, came down and tried to calm him. He went after her with a knife. As he chased her across the bridge, she stumbled. He was standing in a patch of moonlight as he raised the knife to strike. I took aim. I couldn't miss. It, it's exactly as he said. I was about to be killed. Uh, I pushed the arrow right through him. Washed it clean in a stream. Strange. It was over so quickly, and he hardly made a sound. We agreed to leave the body to be discovered later. It gave me good time to get myself and the caravan out of the district. We agreed not to meet for some time until the scandal had all died down, and, and I reckon we'd have got away with it if it hadn't been for this trick of forcing us together. How did you manage to trace me? Put all this together? Elementary. You left clear tracks of your horse-drawn caravan. If you were implicated, you would not take the chance of remaining alone for long. You thought you'd find safety in numbers, so you joined up with a camp of genuine gypsies. They're outside Southminster at this very moment. I traced them. I made inquiries about you and left a note that I was sure would bring you back here. I sent a similar message to Mrs. Savage. It was the only way I could effectively get a confession out of you. Yes, I think the rest is up to you, Carter. I'm sure you'll handle it without further help from me. Well, shall we go, Watson? We can catch that lunchtime train as planned. We did catch the train and in plenty of time. Once again, I sat back in my seat and pondered over Holmes' extraordinary ability to piece facts together from starting at the right places. It was the nature of the wound that intrigued me, Watson. Once I was sure it was a bow and arrow that was used, I naturally had to look for the sort of man who could use that weapon. It had to be an old-timer, not a youngster like Nigel Sykes. Yes. But Holmes, there's still that wretched tobacco pouch. Ah, Sykes will have a bit of explaining to do there. You see, he did go to Crouch End on the night of the murder, and he found the body. His were the screams that people heard in the dead of the night. Unfortunately, he drops the pouch. If we hadn't traced Dylan Drew, that might have landed him in the dock. As it is, well, one wonders just what he'll do with what's left of his father's securities. Interesting speculation. Listen again next Sunday to The Stories of Sherlock Holmes with Graham Armitage's Holmes and Kerry Jordan as Dr. Watson. Thank you.